Here we go. Okay, so we are doing Pirkei Avis, and this is our sixth week of doing Pirkei Avis. We haven't been doing it in order, um, but the one Perik that we did not touch on yet was Perik Shlishi, the third Perik. So that's what we're going to touch on tonight, look at a couple of Mishnas and a couple of ideas in the third Perik of Pirkei Avis. And again, that will bring it, after that we'll have completed um, at least one shear or some ideas on each one of the Prakim of Pirkei Avis. So, Perik Shlishi, if you're following along from inside, one is great. If not, it works as well. The Mishnah begins in the first Mishnah, Akavya ben Mahalalil Oimer. Akavya, the son of Mahalalil, said. Um, note that there's no Rebbe. It doesn't say Rebbe Akavya ben Mahalalil, it just says Akavya ben Mahalalil Omer. And there's an interesting concept, which is the very early sages go without the name Rebbe. Um, and it's actually, we might think that's a symbol of maybe lack of deference. Really, in Mishnai's language, that's the symbol of the ultimate honor. That he doesn't, doesn't need it, like Avram. You don't say Rebbe Avram Avino. Like Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, the basic names of Klal Yisrael, they're, they're, they're just Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Uh, Aaron. It's not, it's not Rabbi Moshe Rabbeinu, right? So Akavi ben Malal is one of those very early sages, in the same time as Hillel, who also goes without Rebbe, right? So he's mentioned here in the beginning of this chapter. Akavi, son of Mahalalil, said, and he, uh, let me read the, the entire Mishnah. Um, look or gaze at three things and you won't come to sin. What are the three things? No, from where you come, where you're going, and before whom will you be giving judgment and reckoning. And then it goes on to enumerate exactly in detail. basa. From where are you coming? Mitipa Srucha, everyone comes from this, uh, I don't know, I think translated, putrid rap. Where does everyone end up? A place of worms and, and, and dust. Before who does everyone give their ultimate reckoning? Before the king of all kings, Hashem. So this was Akavia ben Mahalalo's statement to us. He says, Look at three things, and that will help you stay where it's steer clear from any sin. These are the three things. So, a couple points, a couple ideas. But before ideas, I want to share an interesting story, beautiful story, that actually the previous Rebbe, Rebbe Yosef Yitzchak, was in Chicago in the early 1940s, um, 1942. 1942, the previous Rebbe made a trip to Chicago. He comes to America in 1940. And at that time, he um, goes to New York, and that's where Chabad becomes headquartered in New York. But there's a number of Chabad, uh, the, I think the biggest group of Chabad supporters or friends was in Chicago. So the, the Rebbe, even though he was quite ill, and sort of had, had a little bit paralyzed, but nevertheless, he made the trip to Chicago, and he was here for a little bit. So it, there's an entire booklet of the talks that he gave when he was in Chicago. And one of the talks touches on this Mishnah. I just want to say, because it's a very interesting story. And the story is, it goes back to the times of the Balatanya. There's the, very, the beginning of the Hasidic movement, really. Now, one of the early, um, I, don't know, I don't know what to call it, innovations, but one of the ideas that the early Hasidic movement stressed, starting from the Baal Shem Tov, was that every Jew is holy and that every Jew is special. Because when the Baal Shem Tov came to the world, uh, Yiddish, from Yiddishkeit was very, very... Um, Split. There was the Torah scholars and the regular people and the people, the honored people and the not honored people. It was very, very. Um, even you know, you had even today you have sometimes you hear of a shul, the Schneider's shul. It, it, back in then, there was the shul for the Talmud Chachamim and the and the shul for the tradesmen and the simpletons, and there was a very, very um, great rift, like between or, or barrier between the different types of Jewish people. That's just the way it was. And the Baal Shem Tov came to really change that, and very successfully. Uh, today, I think by all Yiddishkeit, that's totally changed. And there's a certain respect them for every Yid, be that as it, be they, who, who they may be. Be that as it may. So the story goes that there was a chassid, a great chassid, tremendous Talmud Chacham, his name was Baruch Mordechai. And he was uh, in the city of Babroisk. And he was from the Vilna, and the Vilna, which was the um, stronghold of the Lithuanian Judaism, the Grah, the Vilna Goyen, and so on. Rebarak Marachai came from there. But he became a, a great chassid of the Alter Rebbe. He became a great chassid, and he had his own shul and his own community. And the story, the way the, the Friedrich Rebbe said it, was that he was once visited by a brother-in-law, 
And his brother-in-law was, no, very, from, the, from the other camp, from the Misnagdim camp, very strongly. And he came, and he was the Vikram Chacham, but he was very full of himself. And he saw this guy davening with great fervor in the shul. And he says, who's he? Davening so you know, beautifully. He says, well, he's the wagon driver. And, and this great Rosh Hashiva goes, and he gives this shear, and so on and so forth. And on the way out again, he says, who's that guy davening? He, oh, the wagon driver. He said, he's just... He's a davener. He's just the heel of a davener. Like, who is he anyway? Who does he think he is to daven like that? He's, and he, twice he expressed himself, oh, he's just the heel of a davener. So Rav Baruch said, a heel of a davener, that reminds me of a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. Mishnah in Pirkei Avos about a heel of a davener. What are you talking about? So he says, who is the name of the person of our Mishnah? Akavya ben Mahalalil. Think about the words, Akavya means a heel. And Mahalalil is like Halil, davening to Hashem. So Rabbarach Mardachai turns to his brother and says, a heel of a davener gives the most profound teachings of how not to come to be arrogant and how not to come to be sinful if one only listens to the davening of even a heel of a davener. And that's a story that the Friedrich Rebbe said in Chicago. It's printed in, uh, again, in, in 1942, in the Sichas of then. So that it uh, comes back to this Mishnah. Interestingly, and I'm not going to get into it, but there were those who, who made light of the story. Ah, he was just saying a silly interpretation. It was like a joke, you know, play on words. The Rebbe later wrote a lengthy letter explaining, sourcing how this idea is not just a play on words, but it actually has deep meaning in the name of the Tzaddik and his lifetime and so on. And it, was a, it became a whole, um, became a whole concept, a whole idea. Uh, they ever wrote a whole thing about it. Neither has Let's move on. So, it's there's an interesting note about this Mishnah, and that's something a point that the Rebbe made a few times. Once I heard it myself, I was by Fabrain, and the Rebbe made this point, which, if you think about it, this Mishnah really is split up into three stanzas. Because what did he say? He says, he says, look at three things, and you won't come to sin. But he doesn't say what the three things are. So stanza one just says, look at three things and you won't come to sin. Stanza two says, and what are the three things? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? And in front of, in front of whom are you going to give the reckoning? Mm -hmm. Stanza two. Then, again, but okay, so he said, in stanza two he said, look, where are you coming from? Where are you going? But where is that? Stanza three says, well, you're, well one comes from that putrid drop and is going to the place of the worms and will end up giving a din v'chashbun before Hashem. So it would seem that he really said the point very, very drawn out. Like, think about three things. A. And what are those three things? Where are you coming? Where are you going? Oh, and part three. And what are those three things? He could have just said it all in, as one statement. He could have said, a person should think about that they're coming from that future drop and going there. Instead of the three stanza Mishnah, where he, take, he, take, he seems to be taking one point and sort of dragging it out over an entire Mishnah. So what's the idea? Why does the Mishnah do that? Why does it break it up into these three teachings, three statements? And the Rebbe said that even though when one reads the Mishnah quickly, one thinks that, that it's just one long Mishnah saying one point, just sort of drawn out, but really there's three teachings in this Mishnah. Three individual, three different teachings, and they're really leveled to three different levels of people. And it's three ways or three meditations that a person could or should use in order to help them stay clear of any type of affair. And it's not just, he said, it's not just the same thing being said over three steps, but it's three different teachings that are being taught in this Mishnah. And this is the way, and, and this is the way the Rebbe explained it. He explained it in different ways over the years, but I'll give you one. He says, what's the first teaching? Look at three things and you won't come to sin. That period, that's the end of a teaching. What are the three things? If you don't look at the next steps of the Mishnah as the explanation of this step, but if, if this is a teaching in and of itself, look at three things. A person should always remember and focus on three things and only those three things. And then you'll be good. What are those three things? So there we said, yes. Yeah, I don't know. Speech, hmm. action, belief. 
Thought. Right. And again, there's a lot of good threes out there. I mean, yeah. you know, Torah, Vodek, Milos, Chasadim. You know, there's there's a lot of good threes. You know, from Yitzchak and Yaakov. There's, there's, there's plenty of good threes to go around. But I want to give the teaching that I remember hearing from the Rebbe, which I thought was very powerful. It says, a person should always think about three things. And that is, there's Hashem. That's always number one. There's Hashem. And number two is, there is me. Right? And number three is, what he wants me to do. What's my mission? And when that's when I'm focused on the on that three and nothing else really matters to me, I'm good. What was number two, Rabbi Summerberg? I'm sorry, it was hard to hear. Okay. Hashem. There's Hashem. There is the yeah. pers the person myself. Oh me. Right. I know a, a, a very humble person doesn't even hear the word me, I get it. But, but, but the Rebbe says a person has to think about there's Hashem a master creator and then there's there's me Hashem created me and then there's and why he created me what's my mission or simply speaking what does he want from me now and when we're focused on what he wants from me now and nothing else really matters right now. Sometimes we're so, we get so caught up in all different types of important, wonderful things, but really they're not important. Right now what's important is, what is my job now? What does Hashem want from me today? Or not even today, now. This moment. And then, I'm, I'm fine. The problem is we lose focus. We forget either about Hashem, or we forget about ourselves. We're like we're thinking about the whole world, but not really me, like, which is important. And then, what is my mission? What does Hashem want from me now? And that is a teaching in and of itself. That's the first teaching of this Mishnah, mm -hmm. without even taking it further. I, I want to say a, an idea, which I don't remember if I shared here in the past, but it's just one of my all-time favorites, and I feel right now is a great time to say it. It'll take a few minutes, but it's a, it's a great teaching. And it goes like this. It's, it's, it wasn't, the teaching I'm going to say now is not directly about this Mishnah, but an important idea. We just had the Megillah of Rus, right? And, and Shavuos, right? And Shavuos, there's many who have the custom of reading the Megillah of Rus. What's the most famous, uh, or one of the most famous lines in the Megillah of Rus? Right? Um, Nomi is telling her daughter-in-law, Rus, you know, go back home. You don't have to come with me. Your husband passed away already. And Rus famously says those beautiful poetic words. She says, wherever you go, I will go. Where you will sleep, I will sleep. Your nation is my nation, your God is my God. Right? That's what she says. So, it's beautiful poetry. But the Gemara says that it wasn't just nice poetry. There was a halachic conversation going on. And she was really going through the halachas because she was going to convert. She's going to become the great convert, Rus. So a convert has to learn the halachas. So, she, so Nomi was reviewing with her. It was a halacha class. So with that uh, perspective, what were the halachas being talked about? When she says, where you will go, I will go, which halacha was being talked about? It says, Tchum Shabbos. On Shabbos, you're only allowed to walk X amount of area, miles, whatever it is, depending on where you are. But there's a concept called Tchum Shabbos. So when Ruth says, wherever you go, I will go, she's saying, yeah, I'll do that. Wherever, you know, what's, what, where, it's, where it's okay to go, I'll go, not now. Then she says, wherever you'll sleep over, I'll sleep over. Which halacha were they talking about? Says the Gemara, Yichud. Right? Not in a place where there's a man and a woman secluded because that is forbidden. So she says, okay, I'm in. Wherever you sleep, I'll sleep. I'm not going anywhere else. And then Ruth says, well, you know, there's, there's another 613 mitzvahs like these. She says, yeah, amich ami. Whatever your nation does, I'll do. And then she says, you know, there's Hashem in heaven. Elokayich, elokay. That's how the Gemara explains that interchange, that conversation. But there's an obvious question. And the Rebbe asks it once in a talk. He says, think about it. If you're giving a class to a ger, and you want to go through the basic halachas of Yiddishkeit, think about the halachas that were chosen to highlight here and the order. Like, what's the most, what's the most important first thing you'll think about in Yiddishkeit? Tom Shabbos. <laughs> and number two, Yichud. Right. Oh, and then, oh, there's 613 mitzvahs. And, and, then, then, there's and then there's Hashem. It would seem like the exact opposite. So counterintuitive. If here she's giving her her, her shir on Yiddishkeit, uh -huh. what kind of a shir is that? So, I mean, it's interesting. It fits with the words. Save the best for last. <laughs> but, but why? A very good thing to start from Tom Shabbos and then Yichud. I mean, there's so many beautiful mitzvahs to talk about and important mitzvahs to talk about. 
Um, why dafka this? There has to be a meaning. Yeah. I'm sorry? What's the meaning? What's the meaning? <laughs> I heard, heard something interesting, but go on. <laughs> and the meaning, the meaning is the following. When was this conversation happening? On the, on the, on the calendar. So the Pasuk says they were walking in Yimei Ketzir Chitim, and the Gemara says it was Erev Pesach. They were coming back to Eretz Yisrael from Moab on Erev Pesach. If you're walking on Erev Pesach, What's going to happen in a few minutes? You're going to have to stop walking because of Tchum Shabbos. Is Yantif same? Yes, yes, yes. Tchum Shabbos and Yantif is the same din. So basically, yes. So basically, they were were walking in the street. And she's saying like, you know, we're walking. We're going to have to stop soon because of Tchum Shabbos. If you're Jewish, you're going to have to stop soon. Mm. Then guess what? When you have to stop, you need a place to stay. So if you need a place to stay, you're only allowed to stay in certain places because as a from yet, you can't stay wherever you want. Mm-hmm. And then she says, okay, I'm in. I'll stop when we got to stop. I'll stay where we got to stay. And she says, and there's many other mitzvahs that way as well. In other words, what was she really teaching her? And let me ask you another, this. let me ask a question from a different angle. Exactly. I'll ask you a question that I love asking. What's the most important mitzvah in the Torah? There's always going to be different answers. The answer is, what does Hashem want from me now? Everything else right now is theoretical. It's hypothetical. It's interesting. It's important. But what does Hashem want from me now means to be a from Yid. Means to be a Yid. I'm here to serve Hashem. So what Rus was telling Nomi, I'm sorry, what Nomi was telling Rus is that Yiddishkeit is not theoretical. Mitzvahs are not theoretical. You know what mitzvahs are? That in a few minutes, a mitzvah is going to tell us we have to stop walking. Two minutes later, we're going to have to look for a place to stay, and mitzvahs are going to govern where we're allowed to stay and not. That's what mitzvahs are. And like these, there are 613 practical mitzvahs. So really, when we think about, are those the two most important mitzvahs of the Torah? Yes. For them, at that moment, those were. Because for them to talk about then the beauty of Shabbos, it wasn't Shabbos. To talk about the importance of Kashrus, they were traveling. It wasn't right then applicable. Mm-hmm. And that was the message of Nomi Terus to the first Gioris of Kali Yisrael, or not first, but the most significant, famous Gioris of Kali Yisrael, telling her that Yiddishkeit and mitzvahs is about what does Hashem want from me now. That's what it's all about ultimately. Not about all the nice knowledge that I have. And that is the first teaching bringing you back here to the Mishnah Perkyovos. Before details, if a person is always focused on that, there's Hashem, there's me, and what He wants from me, then I'm then I'll be in, then I'm on the straight because if I can stick to that, I'm good. I don't have to know everything. I have to know what I have to do now. That's the first teaching, and that's good for for many people. But many people need a little more detail. That's very very you know a lot of times we have to break it down. So therefore, we move on to the second teaching of the Mishnah. What's the second teaching of the Mishnah? Um, da, on the second line, me'ayin basa, know from where you've come, where are you going, and before who are you going to give judgment and reckoning. Period. Again, let's look at these two lines on its own without the next lines, without looking at part three as an explanation of part two. So what is part two? Know where you're coming from, know where you're going, and know that there's a reckoning at the end. That means that a person should remember that I'm not just happened to be here right now. But the, 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 again, one of the big problems that people have is when there's just, there's just no rhyme and reason to, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just here, I don't know why or where or what I'm doing. When a person has a plan, I know where I'm coming from. I'm a neshama. I've come from heaven. I've come here with a job, with a mission. I'm going somewhere. I'm fulfilling that mission. I have to fulfill that mission and come back to the one who sent me to Hashem and say, Hashem, I'm back. And I, I went where I had to go and I did what I have to do and I'm ready to report. When a person remembers and knows the beginning, the end, where they're headed, then they live a life that fits with the pattern of where they're coming from and where they're going and having to accomplish something. It's almost like even in a business. If you don't, from time to time, you have to remember, okay, what was the plan? What was the goal? And where were we going? Because, or anything, classes. Stay focused. Stay focused. 
right? Speeches, right? Sometimes people start speaking, you're not exactly sure where they're going. <laughs> and, and, right, if, if you, where are you coming from? Where are you headed? What's the point? And let's get there, right? And that's, that's the second teaching. He says that a person has to always remember, I'm not just, I happen to be awake and I happen to be around today and I happen, there's a, there's a mission and I'm coming from somewhere, my neshama came into this world, it's going out of this world ultimately, it has a certain amount of time to do something. In a bigger picture, as a nation, we came into this world to make the world a better place and bring Mashiach, there's a goal, that's the second teaching. The third teaching already is the harshest of the three. And that's for one who's become a little more, too much sunk into their gashmias and to materialism. They forgot about ruchnius, they forgot about spirituality, and that's the harshness of the third message. Right? Where do I come from? All of this gashmias, my whole body and everything that I'm so into, what is it from? It's, that, it's a drop. And where is it going? Back into the ground where it came from. Let's not, get over, let's not go overboard to this very, very temporary and not um, weighty thing in comparison to the neshama and the soul that lives forever in the mission. And that's the third part. So the third part becomes more musardic, if you will, uh, in case you're feeling too into the Gashmis and so on, let's remember how small that is and how insignificant that is in the face of the Ruchnius and the Kavana and the purpose and the Torah Mitzvahs that Hashem gives me that are everlasting, unlike the body that has that, um, you know, not noble beginnings and not noble endings. And that's the third step of the mission. So that this Mishnah is not, again, the way it's normally read, of just like one sort of long, drawn-out teaching. There's really three steps, three teachings. Um, very quickly, the first one was to focus on the big three, never to leave a, never to, um, never to um, waver from that, that there's Hashem, me, and my mission. The second point was the idea of remembering that I have a, where I'm coming from, where I'm going, there's a Seder, there's an um, order in my life, there's a purpose. Um, heading to my din v'chashbon with Hashem. And finally is the one which is more harsh of, again, the one who needs the uh, more of a um, harsh reminder about what is important and what's not important, where to put one's emphasis in their life and their avodah. That is the third teaching of this great Akavya ben Mahalala. That is as far as Mishnah Aleph. Okay. Let's take a look at Mishnah Beis. Rabbi Hanina Sgan HaKohanim Omer. Rabbi Hanina Skana Kohanim, um, one of the sages of the Mishnah, and he was a Kohen, not only a Kohen, he was one of the leaders of the Kohanim. Um, in the time of the Bishamit, there was the Kohen Gadol. No, no problem. So you have, you had, you had the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol, obviously, Arma Kohen, and there's always the Kohen Gadol. And then there was the Skana Kohen. He was the one who was under the Kohen Gadol, but he was a, he was like a, um, I don't know the right word, but a leader of the Kohen. And he says the following. A person should daven for the well-being of the government. If not for the government and the, the uh, fear inspired by government, ish esrei chayim below. People would swallow each other alive. That's what he says. That's the first statement. We'll stop here for a moment. We'll get to the second part. But that's the opening statement of Mishnah Beis. Rabbi Chinina Skanakonim says, a person should daven for the well-being of the kingdom, of the government. If not for the fear of government, people would swallow each other alive. Okay, so on a simple level, what is he saying? Um, what he said? He says, if we don't have government, there will be anarchy, chaos. You know, who knows what's going to be? So, so sometimes government is better, sometimes government is worse, sometimes we like the one who's in the office or not in the office. Doesn't matter. He says, it's important to note, he lived in a time of the worst government possible, the Roman government, that ultimately put him to death. This Shabchanin is Ganakon. Uh, according to, well, there's actually different opinions. According to some opinions, he's one of the ten martyrs. We know twice a year we say the Asara Harugi Malchus, the ten martyrs. Uh, we say it on Yom Kippur and Davin, and we say it on Tishabav. According to some readings, he's one of them. And it was that evil, tremendously evil and wicked government, anti Semitic murderers, 
that he says doesn't matter. Because government brings a very necessary ingredient to society, and that is that otherwise there's chaos and there's people swallowing each other alive. That is his teaching. So an important teaching on its own. But let's take it a step deeper. And let's uh, zoom into a somewhat strange expression that he used, which is uh, people would swallow each other alive. I mean, you know, I guess he, it's good imagery, but, but, you know, it's not so Mishnah-like. Um, it could have said that there will be chaos, you know, there will be people who will be do crazy things. Swallowing each other alive, first of all, it's not really possible. Right? One human being can't swallow another human being alive, I don't think, unless one human being is as big as a whale, and then he can swallow like, like Yonah. But typically, that's not really something that can happen. So why use that image? And, and again, the Mishnah is not a book of poetry. It's not, there are Svarim that are more poetic. You know, I can see it maybe in Tehillim. There's different types. But Mishnah is not. Mishnah is halachic, and Mishnah is factual. So why use that expression? that if not for government, people would swallow each other alive. So that already gives us a hint that there's something deeper that he's referring to. He's not just referring to um, the anarchy that, or the chaos that would be in the streets. There's a deeper message and idea he's talking about. So what is it? And what does swallowing each other alive really represent? And here, we see, here we'll have a beautiful idea. Let's think about swallowing another person alive. What does that mean? Again, we can't physically do it. But if we could try to conjure, what does swallowing another person alive mean? So a way of understanding it is, there are people that they look at everyone around them, and everyone is only there for them. Narcissist. Narcissist. Everyone is there to help me, to make me better, to make me bigger, to make me more famous, right? They, they say the story, um, maybe it's a joke, maybe it's not, but of this famous uh, actor, just for whatever, someone who was very into themselves and has their aid, and the whole day they're talking about themselves, how wonderful they are, how great they are, how smart they are, how strong they are. And at, at some time, the person gets, got tired of speaking, he tells the aide, he says, you know, enough already me speaking about myself. What do you have to say about me? <laughs> about me. <laughs> it's definitely going to be about me. The question is, who's going to talk about me? So what does it mean to swallow someone else alive? It means that they're not even visible. They're not important. They're not it, in the room. Means, they're just... It means they're there for, as part of me. Oh, they're alive, right. but they're only alive for me. They're like, for me to be bigger, for me to be greater, for me to be more whatever, there, you know, you're, you can also help me be me. Oh, you know, I need you too to make me greater. So I need everyone and all of you should stay alive. I need you as long as you're swallowed within my being. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's so, uh, so that's, oh, wow. if you think about swallowing alive, the mission doesn't say things. He's telling us something. He's saying people have a tendency of ego. Some people suffer from it more, some people suffer from it less, but everyone has an ego, everyone has a certain natural arrogance. Now, what puts our ego in check? Fear of Hashem, Malchus Shemayim, right? Recognizing that there's Hashem, who's the Melech Olam, he's my Melech, and when one is able to have humility before Hashem, that helps me be humble, period. And here we have a beautiful idea. Hashem, expresses his malchus through government in this world. In other words, government governs. All of us, as egotistical as we are, as one might be, that is, um, when the policeman behind the car puts on his lights, you got to pull over, even though you're so arrogant, because that's the government. He comes with the power of government behind him. Physical government is an expression of the malchus of Hashem. The Gemara says in line, Malchusa de Ara ke'e Malchusa de Rakia, which means that the, that the physical worldly kingdoms are merely expressions of Hashem's kingdom. Now, the worldly kingdoms might act very negatively, very terribly, and against Hashem, of course. Yet the concept of kingdom, the, the concept of government, of kingdom, that we are not, that there's someone over us, and there's someone who controls us, and someone that we have to be fearful of, that we have to follow order, follow, follow rules. That's a good concept. Mm -hmm. Malchus is an important concept in the Torah. 
Right? The Torah says, Som Tasim Alecha Melech. We should have a king. And a king is someone that we have a mitzvah to fear, and a mitzvah to obey, and a mitzvah to take care of all their needs and give taxes and so on and so forth. Of course, the ultimate Torah king are holy tzaddikim kings, like David HaMelech and Shlomo HaMelech and, and Mashiach himself will be a king. That's the ultimate. But even when it's not in the ultimate way, the concept of kingdom, even if the crown is being worn by someone who's quite negative, but that concept is an expression of Hashem's, of government over a person and brings a person a basic humility. It's a basic controller of ego because, no, I'm not the boss. I do have something over me, something governing, governing me. That helps me in my own bittel, in my own humility. There's a, an interesting story when... when Oh. When the when the Alter Rebbe was in prison, right? The Alter Rebbe the Balatani was famously was in prison and he came out of Yutas Kislev, was the whole Hasidic Yomtev, right? So when he was in, the Hasidic tradition is that when he was in tradition, the Tsar the Tsar himself came to visit the Alter Rebbe. He heard about so many things about him and whatever, he wanted to see him himself. So he got dressed up in plain clothes, incognito walked into the jail cell. Um, so he walks in, the Alter Rebbe picks up his eyes, stands up, makes the bracha that you, see, that you make when you see a king. And he says, why what did you say? So I made the blessing for a king. Why did you make a blessing for a king for me? Right, because he's coming plain clothes. The Alter says, the Gemara says that earthly kingdom is an expression of the heavenly kingdom. When you walked into the room, I felt that expression of fear of heaven. I knew it's because earthly kingdom had walked into my jail cell. Wow. Now, that's the Alter But the idea is that everything Hashem makes in this world is an expression of something much greater than itself. Whether it's used correctly or not, it's still expressing something greater than itself. And that is what Reb Hanina Skana Kohanim was saying. He was saying, we owe a debt of gratitude to government, whether they're good or bad, because they humble us. And they bring us to a place where we won't swallow each other alive. He said, if, if there wouldn't be government in this world, then even if people might behave externally, they'll be swallowing each other up alive. Everyone will just look at themselves as the ultimate being and everyone else is there for me and I look around the room and everyone here is just part of me it's just there to make me grander and greater and therefore he says we should understand that secret about government and I'm going to repeat what I said earlier he lived in a time of a terrible government but he says but still I'm still I recognize the gift of having something over everyone that controls everyone that humbles everyone because we all need to be humbled. Whether we like it or not sometimes, but if not, we become very um, dangerous people. Dangerous even, again, not dangerous because we might hurt someone. Dangerous in the way we look at people, the way we deal with people, and the way we consider others. We become self-centered and can be totally self-centered to the point of swallowing everyone up. And that is how the Rebbe explains that teaching of Rebbe Hanina Skanakai. Is, is this why some shuls say, I mean, from, say, a, a tefillah during davening? Could very well be. Could very well be. Could very well be, yeah. When you're using the word government, does it mean mamish government or, let's say, like, rules that govern? I think it means both. In other words, I think it means the government who are the ones who create those rules that govern. You know, govern, the concept of a government is that it's not everyone on their own. There's a place body and there's leader. a body and there's something uh -huh. and there's rules, right? That's, that's why we can't defund the police. <laughs> One of the reasons, right. <laughs> right. I, I don't know if it should be. I, well, we won't say who said it. <laughs> I remember I was uh, five or six years old, and we were in first grade or the grade before first grade, whatever that's called. And our teacher, our Rebbe, took us to a trip to the police station that was near the Cheder. This is in Detroit. And they showed us in the basement, uh, I guess, they called it a jail, I guess, like a holding cell. And I remember we walked in, and I was in, I remember, I'll never forget, I asked, is that for people who go 56 miles an hour? <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I remember that the policeman and my teacher both started laughing, and I was very hurt. I thought I had such a good question. <laughs> I so feel it. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, if you, if you go against the rules, right. you know. But, but, that's, but, <laughs> but that's government. That's government. So that's what, that's what Rukhanin Asgana Kalinim said. Now let's see something just, just magnificent. What's the next step of that same Mishnah? 
Same Mishnah, Mishnah base. Part two. Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion Omer. Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion Omer. Now, Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion was another one of the ten martyrs. Right? I mentioned to you earlier that Rabbi Hanina's Gan Kohanim was one of the ten martyrs according to many traditions. Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion was definitely one of them, according to all traditions. He's right there in the davening. So both of them are speaking in the same Mishnah. And what does he say? Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion Omer. Shnaim sheyoshvin ve'ein b'neihem direi Torah. Two people who are sitting, and there isn't words of Torah between them. Harezim Moshev Leitzim. This is like a, um, I don't know, sitting, uh, sitting of scoffers. Leitzim, yeah, scoffers. Shanemar, as it says, the Pasuk says, of Moshev Leitzim lo Yashav and Tehillim, Hashem is not found in the, in, um, seated amongst the scoffers. But two people are sitting and there is the Torah between them. The Shekhinah, the divine presence is with them and he brings a Pasuk to support it. Okay, so a couple of points. Um, a, what's the connection between the two parts of the Mishnah? I mean, it's both the same Mishnah. It will seem that these two statements are, I mean, they're both wonderful statements, but they have zero in common. Right, the first one was about praying for the well-being of government. And the second is about the importance of studying Torah. Which is, again, that's, they're both wonderful statements. But what's the symmetry? And why they could have easy, easily been in two separate Mishnahs. And here, they're lumped together in one Mishnah, which tells us that there's got to be some common denominator between these two. That's number one. one. But another question. When two people don't study Torah, there's worse things we can say about them than that they're scoffers. Right? You know, there's a mitzvah to study Torah. They're, they're, they're um, transgressing by not studying Torah. Right? It's an Avera. And, and it says some pretty terrible things about people who could learn Torah and aren't learning Torah. This would seem to me like they're, they're scoffers. They're, they're something, we're, we're mocking them in a sense. But for not learning Torah, there's other things that say, not just that they're scoffers. Okay, so what's the, what's the connection of the different parts of the Mishnah? So here, the Rebbe draws on a beautiful vort from the Sefer Medrash Shmuel. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned that Sefer before. Medrash Shmuel is on Pirkei Avos. It is written by a disciple of the Arizal. His name is Rabbi Shmuel de Yuzida. Um, he was a great disciple, a great uh, Mekubal, a great Tzaddik, and he wrote a fascinating Sefer on Pirkei Avos that really brings together many, many commentaries on Pirkei Avos. And he says, he, he zooms into one word of this part of the Mishnah that changes its meaning. It says, Two people who are sitting and there isn't words of Torah amongst them, between them. So typically we touch, oh, that means these two people are sitting and they probably weren't standing, right? He says, no, it doesn't say that. Look closely. It says, What does the word mean? Between them. Between them. So they're each learning by themselves. Exactly. Says of Shmuel Diuzida, these people are learning Torah. Of course they're learning Torah. But they're not talking to each other in the Torah. I'm learning my Torah. You're learning your Torah. He says, so you can't accuse these people that they're not studying Torah. They're studying Torah. But I'm in my world. You're in yours. I can't study with you. I you know, I study deeper stuff than you. I'll do my stuff. You do your stuff. We, we're in a humility issue. We're in an arrogance issue. Now I see the connection of the two parts of the Mishnah. These are the swallowers. Right? In other words, we're talking about people that are too full of themselves to study Torah with someone, to learn with someone else. I'm sitting in the room. That person is sitting in the room. I'm learning Torah. They're learning Torah, but... There's no, there's, no, there's no connection. Where does that come from? One simple word. Arrogance. Ego. Uh-huh. Arrogance. I'm into myself. And I want to learn Torah in the best way possible and at very high levels. And I don't have time for you. You want to learn? Because I'm telling you, I'll, I'll show you a safer, but that's it. Says the Rebbe, if so, these two parts of the Mishnah fit like a glove. Mm-hmm. They're all talking about the same thing. They're talking about humility. So Reb Hanina ben Tradion started out with davening. He says, daven and recognize the beauty of government, of humility. Don't be like those people who swallow everyone else up alive, meaning that they're just into themselves and their perfection and their shlemos and whatever, and everyone else is just there to help them in their self, what's the word, aggrandizing, whatever, uh, feelings. 
And, and Rechanina Matravion says, and the same thing is with Torah study. When it comes to Torah study, Torah study is not meant to just be my exercise of fulfillment and shlemos and greatness and holiness and I'll learn as much Torah as I can. I'm sitting with another Yid. Let's learn something together. Yes, on the same level, not on the same level. It's the word of Hashem. And in fact, which pasuk does he bring to say that, that Hashem is with them when they learn Torah together? He says... Um, she, she, as it says, Vayakshav Hashem, Vayishma Hashem listens, Vayikosev Sefer Zikaron Lefanov is written in Hashem's memories, Liyire Hashem, Olachoshve Shmo, to those who fear Hashem. Why is he talking about fearing Hashem? We're talking about studying Torah. Because we're talking about studying Torah with humility. And that comes from, that's the fear aspect, like, like the fear of kingdom. In other words, fear, Hashem doesn't mean that I'm afraid that Hashem is going to hit me. Fear means a feeling of. Of, of, of contrition, a feeling of humility be in front of Hashem. And when, I'm, when I recognize that Hashem gave us His Torah and I'm humble about it, then I would love to learn with another Yitzhak. Whether it's exactly up to my level or it's not my level or it will take me more time or less time, it's not about me and my great achievement right now. It's about, it's about connecting to Hashem and connecting, helping another Yitzhak to connect to Hashem together. And that's this Mishnah. And again, it was these two tzaddikim, who these two tzaddikim were both tremendous tzaddikim and who lived in the worst of times and were killed. In fact, Rabbi Hanina ben Tradio, who's the second speaker of this Mishnah, was killed teaching Torah to the masses. It says he was sitting with many, many Talmidim and the Romans came. And that's, again, it's the terrible stories of, of our history, but they wrapped him in the Sefer Torah and set him on fire. But he died learning Torah with people. He didn't die in his own room learning Torah, which he could have, and maybe he wouldn't have died then. He died because his Torah was to be there with everyone else. And that's what he said in Pirkei Avos. We said it, we said it already a few times. The teachers of Pirkei Avos were giving their own life stories in the, in, the, in the teachings that they were giving. And this concept, he said, that Torah is meant to learn together. And it's not about just me being or someone else becoming the greatest person. It's not about that. And he actually gave his life in the serious Nefesh at the end. In that way, he went out to everyone, to the masses, and learned with them. And that's, how, that's when he passed away. I want to. Yes. Is that where like the whole concept of learning Bachavusa comes from? It's for sure part of it. Uh-huh. It's for sure part of it. I mean, there's there's many practical gains also to learning with Bachavusa. Sure. There's a lot, in, in many ways, it's just a practically the best way of learning. But here we're saying sometimes a person feels, but I don't want to learn with that person because whatever. And here we're talking about the humility aspect of no, to learn with another youth anyway. In other words, sometimes we learn with Chavrusa, maybe more commonly we learn it just for, because practically it makes the most sense. Right. Here the Mishnah is talking about even a higher level than that, uh-huh. which is when we happen to be together and we could each do it on our own or we could do it together. And actually this is something I think that's very practical. It happens a lot of times. You're just in a situation and you could do it on your own or you could sit and do it together and it takes a certain humility to say, look, why do it on my own? I can do it together. Okay, I want to look at one more Mishnah. I want to skip a number of Mishnahs um, and go to a Mishnah, um, Yod Dalid. And, um, right, I have a special appreciation when I'm able to give over ideas that I remember actually hearing um, as a student by the Rebbe, by the Fabrangan, and this is one of those. So I just want to, I want to share that, and I think we'll finish with that, with Mishnah Yod Dalid. And this is some of the teachings of Rabbi Akiva, right? One of the greatest Tanoim of all time, we mentioned him last week also, was the great Rabbi Akiva, who was, as we know, in the story of Lag Bomer and, and uh, Sirius Omer, he had 24,000 students and they all died. And then he had more students and they became really the foundation of all Mishnahs from Rabbi Akiva. Because Rabbi Akiva's two, perhaps greatest students, was Rabbi Meir. Um, and Rabbi Meir is the most often uh, mentioned teacher in Mishnayis. And it's because Rabbi Meir had a student, Rabbi Huda Hanasi, who wrote the Mishnayis. So it all goes back to Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva's other student was Rabbi Shun Bar Yochai, who's the Zohar. So really everything, Rabbi Akiva is this extremely central figure in Klal Yisrael. And last week we spoke about it, how it was his wife Rachel who really brought him, who really saw that in him, right? And we talked about that last week. But anyways, so in this period, we have, I'm sorry? With the woman. Yep. <laughs> what can I do? So, in this um, in this paragraph, we have a, a couple of mishnas of his teachings: Yigimel and Yudalid, um, Tesvav, Tesayin. He really has a, a number of teachings. Rabbi Akiva and Pirkei Avos. 
Um, but I want to look at Yudalad. Hu haya Omer, he would say, Chaviv Adam Shanivra Bitselem. Beloved is man who was created in the form, the form of Hashem. Kichiba Yisera Nodaslo. There's a tremendous love to that. Shanivra Bitselem, that he's created with the form of Hashem. Shanamar, as the Pasik says, Kibitselem Alukim Asas Adam. That the Pasik says, by creation, that Hashem creates man in the form of Hashem. So he said, he talks about that. Tremendous feeling of chavivus, of belovedness, that we should feel that, that we were created in the form of Hashem. But then he moves on. Chaviv in Yisrael, beloved are, are Jewish people, shenich rubonim lamakom, that are called children of Hashem. Again, chiba yoseira nodas lahem shenich rubonim lamakom. What a wonderful belovedness that they're called children of Hashem. Shenemar, as the Pasuk says, banim atem lahashem alokeichem, we're children to Hashem. So that's the second belovedness he focuses on. He focused on the belovedness of being in the form of Hashem and the belovedness of being children of Hashem. And then he moves on to part three. Again, t- tonight is a night of threes. And it's also chapter three, right? right. So he says, I'm sorry. Chavivin Yisrael, shaniten lahem klechemda. Beloved are the Jewish people that it was given to them. Klechemda um, literally means treasure, treasures, beautiful treasures. What a wonderful uh, love was shown to them that they were given the wonderful treasure. What is the wonderful treasure he's talking about? Torah. Shanemer, as the Pasuk says, Hashem says, I've given you this wonderful gift to Rasi Al-Tazovu. Don't ever leave my Torah. Three beloveds of Rabbi Akiva. He talks about three Chiba Yiseiras, three Chaviv. What are the three things? The first thing he says is how beloved we are that we're created in the form of Hashem. How beloved we are that we're called children of Hashem. How beloved we are that we were given the most beloved treasure of Hashem, the treasure of Torah. Now, let's think about those three steps. Firstly, those three steps happen at three times in history. When is the first one? When, is the, when, when were we created in the form of Hashem? When Hashem created man. Adam Chava by by Bria by by Bereshis Bar Elokim. That's where the pasuk says, right? B'tzelav Elokim Barasav. Part two. When are we called children of Hashem for the first time? In Mitzrayim. In Mitzrayim, when Hashem comes to Moshe Rabbeinu and to to Paro, says, "My children, let my children out of Mitzrayim." Bini Bechori Yisrael. These are. This is my child. And then when were we given the tres- the pre- the precious treasure of Hashem? Matan Torah. So the three, the three steps that Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva wants us to focus in on, that we're beloved because we're in the form of Hashem, we're beloved because we're children of Hashem, we're beloved because we have the gift of Hashem, is really creation. And then in Mitzrayim, when we become Hashem's children, His nation, and then when He gives us the Torah Harsin. But let's go a step further. Why is it Rabbi Akiva that's talking about this? And here, here we'll see again the beauty of how each teaching is that specific teacher is the one to teach it to us. Why Rabbi Akiva? And the answer is, because Rabbi Akiva represents these three steps. How is that? The first step, which is that we're created in the image of Hashem, is referring to whom? Who's created in the image of Hashem? All human beings. Jew and non-Jew alike. The first step that we're created in the image of Hashem, B'Tselem Olokim Baras Adam, is not Jewish. All human beings are created in the image of Hashem. Which, by the way, is, the, is, a, is a very important thing to understand. Like, one of the concepts of being created in the image of Hashem is that our, there's our head on top and our heart here, which is the concept of Molach Shalit Al Halev. We have the ability that our mind should control us. Who, who has that ability to be controlled mind over heart, mind over feeling? Jews or everyone? Everyone. everyone. That's the basic humanity, the basic gift of humanity versus an animal. Uh-huh. The, 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 the most defining difference between a human being and an animal is that a human being can let his mind govern his feelings. Doesn't, it doesn't say we always do, but that we can. Mm-hmm. right? And everyone understands this and knows this. How, what's the basic proof? I mean, otherwise... Um, you know, a person comes into court and they ask him, well, why do you steal? Well, I couldn't control myself. Is I couldn't control myself an answer in any court? No. No, because you should have. What do you mean you couldn't? You could. You're human. You have a mind. It's difficult. You had an impulse. I get it. But a, a person can control themselves because every, every human being is B'Tselem Elohim. So the first belovedness that Rabbi Kiva is talking about is the property of a human being before being Jewish. 
Rabbi Akiva comes from converts. So Rabbi Akiva talks about, first of all, he says, first of all, I'm human. Before I'm Jewish, I'm human. Because he himself either was a convert or his father was a convert. More accepted that his father was a convert. But the fact is, he comes from non-Jewish stock, so to speak. So he can say, he says, before we talk about the beauty of being Jewish, let's talk about the beauty of being human. Chaviv Adam After that, he became Jewish. But he was ignorant. He, Rabbi Akiva was an ignoramus for the first 40 years of his life. I'm sorry? So he was a child. Right. So therefore he says, let's talk about the other thing. That it's, I'm a yid, I'm a child of Hashem. Even if I don't know anything. Even if I don't, I never learned any Torah whatsoever. But I have the beauty that Hashem called me Bonim Lamakim, a child of Hashem. Let's focus on that. And then, because of the actions of his wife Rachel, he started learning Torah. And not just started learning Torah, but becomes the master of Torah. Now he says, now let's talk about the third Chaviv. Chaviv Yisrael, Shemit that Hashem gave us his most precious treasure. So Rabbi Akiva, more than anyone else, could uniquely focus on each one of those gifts and recognize how each one of those gifts is so wonderful and so special and makes me feel so beloved that Hashem cares so much about me that He gave me that gift. And sometimes we sort of like jump to three and forget about two or jump to two and forget about one. Rabbi Kiva says, no, let's not do that. Well, when we think about the brachas that we have, when we think about the gifts that Hashem gives us, each and every one of us, it behooves us to, to take them one by one, focus on each one individually, recognize each one individually, and actually for a double purpose. Firstly, because what about when you talk to someone who's not Jewish? Recognize the gift that they have, that Nivra B'Tselem, that every human being is Nivra B'Tselem, a non-Jewish person as well. Recognize that, appreciate that, and recognize their abilities because of that. And then you're talking to a Yid who doesn't know any Torah. Doesn't matter, recognize that they're Banim Lamaka. And then you have a Yid who learns Torah, recognize that beauty. And when one has this chus that they connect to all three, recognize each one individually. And it's again, Dafka Rabbi Akiva, who sort of lives through those three steps before he's Jewish, before he's knowledgeable in Torah, afterward, that's able to uniquely recognize each special chavivus. And, and, and of course, the, the lesson to us is to recognize our gifts. Sometimes, you know, before we talked about humility, and humility is important, but humility doesn't mean not to recognize the gifts Hashem gave us. It's important to be humble and not to be that people swallower that we talked about earlier, but it's also important to recognize how much love Hashem showers on each and every one of us. And even when things may not always go the way we would like them to, to, but to really always focus and recognize how much love we are recipients of on every one of those steps. We're human beings, no matter what happens. And we're, and we're a yid, no matter what happens. And we have the Torah, and we're able to use it. And, and these are things that Rabbi Akiva teaches that we should focus on, be thankful for, and, and, and appreciate, and, and therefore and use them out in that way, and reciprocate the love to Hashem, because we're the recipients of so much beauty and gifts and love from Hashem. Wow. That's staggering. Thank you.